Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 30 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for writers who want to improve their craft. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about us and writership, you can find us on the web at writership.org. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Looking for more five-star reviews of your book? Of course you are. Become a premium member at Author Marketing Club and get access to their award-winning reviewer grabber tool. You can find top-tier Amazon reviewers for your books in minutes. Check it out at www.authormarketingclub.com. All righty. How's it going, Leslie? It's going. <laughs> We're having a cold front. I think it's going to be 91 today. <laughs> oh, it's almost too cold to go to the pool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just really a shame. <laughs> I'm looking for a little relief, but... I've probably mentioned that before. <laughs> I uh, wanted to mention a shout out to one of our fans, Edwin, who let us know that we were having some technical sound issues and that our podcast was not coming across as clearly as it had been in the past. And we so appreciate feedback of that nature that lets us correct and make it a better experience for you, our listeners. So Edwin, thank you so much. We very much appreciate you calling that issue to our attention and hopefully we've ironed it out, but please, you know, we welcome critical feedback at any time, any kind of feedback actually. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah, if you're having a bad experience or if you're having a good experience, we, of course, love reviews and appreciate each and every one of them. So if you find yourself with a moment and you've been enjoying it, uh, the podcast, then uh, we would love for you to share it. So, yeah. Yes. Yes, please. Shall we get started? Yeah, yeah. Today's quote is from Patricia Fuller. Writing without revising is the literary equivalent of waltzing, waltzing gaily out of the house in your underwear. Patricia Fuller again, <laughs> the author <laughs> of that quote. Yeah, um, you don't want to go out of your house in your underpants. <laughs> Not unless you're four years old, but yes. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, I know. We have a clothing optional policy here at our house with the little people um but uh yeah so i mean it's not um revision of course is an absolutely necessary piece of uh, of the process of getting your writing ready to for the world and we all have blind spots um and it helps to get 
it helps to get feedback from other people. So I definitely think there's a part of, you know, the process that, that I do, you know, as I'm revising, but it also helps, of course, to have a second set of eyes looking over yeah. the stuff. I, I, this quote reminded me of Heinlein's rules for writers, which includes, um, don't edit unless upon editorial mandate, something along those lines. Mm -hmm. And I think if you're a master storyteller and you have, um, practice and practice your craft and you have story structure ingrained in you, then maybe you can get away with it. There are very few authors that I know of who are like that. Um, I think Dean Kuntz is one who does not revise. He gets every word perfect and then sends it off and gets irritated if anything has changed, is the urban legend. <laughs> um, uh, but definitely for most writers, revising and editing is absolutely critical. Yeah. So here, here. Thank you, Patricia. We yeah. agree. <laughs> <laughs> Today, we have an urban fantasy and dystopian sci-fi novel, and we get to look at the prologue. This is called Ghosts of Koa. It is written by Colby R. Rice. It is published, and it is quite graphic. So if you are opposed to, um, gratu uh, not gratuitous, but if you're opposed yeah, if you to violence, like violence. Um, then or graphic torture, this may not be right for you yeah just something to keep in mind and not safe for work or young ears <laughs> for sure <laughs> but colby thank you so much for submitting this and we're excited to dive into ghosts of koa um, and i don't think i mentioned but the complete word count for this book is close to one hundred sixty-five thousand words it's quite a long novel I'm just going to grab a little drink of water before I dive in. <laughs> yeah, this might require a little refreshment. <laughs> right. Ghosts of Koa by Colby R. Rice. Shadows flittered in the night and Zakaya jerked his head up, his eyes automatically tracking the movements. The light was sparse, but even from the passenger seat of the truck, his eyes could outline the three distant figures in the dark. About thirty yards away, the shadows of the hunted jerked and twitched with a contained haste as they assembled themselves in their sedan. It was time. The driver would be first. He lifted the rifle and anchored the butt in the soft of his shoulder. He lowered his eye into the scope, positioning the crosshairs over the figure settling into the driver's seat. As he began to depress the trigger, he wondered how exactly the man's head would splatter when the tires of the sedan screeched against the asphalt and it shot off into the dark. Shit, Zakaya hissed, letting the scope drop. Gun it, Joseph! His body felt slick with a cold sweat as their truck roared to life and lurched forward. Joseph jammed his foot down onto the gas pedal, pushing nearly 100 as the truck's tires kicked up the slag of the country road. My mission. Mine. His jaw ached beneath the grind of his teeth. Their hubris was surprising that they fancied even for a moment he'd let them get away after what they'd done. A sharp clack of a round being chambered ricocheted through the truck as Bly, a teammate sitting behind Joseph, prepared to shoot. The only man in the van who didn't move was the one sitting directly behind Zakaya, silent beneath his hood and cloak. He looked out of his window, even 
his chin on his knuckles, as though enjoying a slow Sunday drive. The fleeing sedan far in front of them turned and reeled off the dark path, clunking across the vast stretch of green that separated the road from the main highway. Don't lose them, Joseph, Zakiah said, his voice low in the dark. Yes, sir, Joseph said, a whimper choking his voice. He veered off the road, leaves and branches snapping in dry whispers as he leaned in harder on the gas, following the hunted across the soft, mushy green. Both cars' headlights made yellow eyes in the growing dark, like one nighttime monster chasing another. Zakiah grinned, joy swelling under his frustration. They were going to catch them. He was going to win, and he felt himself nearly thrown into the driver's seat as Joseph yanked the steering wheel, sending the truck into a hard lean. The truck's tires lifted a couple inches from the ground, and the far right side of the windshield exploded open. Fragments of glass flying inward as hot metal grazed the SUV in a messy swarm. A rogue in the scattered cloud clipped Zakiah across the high crest of his cheek, kicking up a curl of flesh, a splash of blood. As his mind made sense of the pain, his joy eroded. Bullets. The thieving bastards had the audacity to shoot. He focused his thoughts on the wound, and his flesh began to heal itself. Vassal? I'm fine, proficient, the man behind him cooed. Joseph jerked the truck to the side again as more bullets whined in the night. They were already just a couple minutes off the freeway, which butted with shining cars and vans. Christ, Joseph! My granny burns rubber better than you, Bly shouted from the back seat. What the hell are you waiting for then? Joseph cried. Shoot back! Bly leaned out his window and sprayed, aiming for the tires of the fleeing sedan. The truck lurched from side to side as Joseph avoided the returning gunfire. We're losing ground, he yelled. Zakiah leaned forward, realizing that he was right. The rebel's muscle car skirted the mud with ease, whereas their truck was in danger of toppling over if Joseph made another turn like that. That page is the heart of the order, proficient. The simplicity of his vassal's statement threaded calm through the dark belly of the car, but the threat in his voice was unmistakable. Zakiah locked his jaw, nodding as much from obedience as from the tightness in his throat that had stolen his voice. If they didn't get the page back, he'd be punished. But far worse than that, his vassal would be disappointed. He wouldn't fail. He couldn't. Take them out, his vassal murmured. I know you can. Zakiah swallowed and nodded at him, fear and pride swelling in his chest. He rolled down the window and wind blasted into the truck. With a smooth slide, he navigated his body through, positioning himself on the ledge. White bursts of fire lit the night as Bly's shots knocked out one of the sedan's tires slowing it down 30 seconds until they hit the freeway. Steady, Joseph, Zakiah said, lifting the rifle scope to his eye. He focused his thoughts on the driver's head, searching for it in the long, dark stretch in front of him. He had homed in on the driver right before they sped off, and he could do it again. He just had to feel it. 
He stared down the scope, letting it drift across the swerving sedan, and something aligned, linking his slamming heart, the rifle, his eye, and the bobbing head of the driver far in front of them. He pulled the trigger, and the driver's head snapped forward, slamming into the steering wheel. Metal squealed high, and rubber peeled from the rims of the sedan as it veered off its path. It crashed into the bordering thickets of the highway, the hood folding in on itself like an accordion, crushed. Bly roared with triumph, slamming his fist into Joseph's headrest. Zakaya, man, you're an animal! Zakaya frowned as they looked back at him. Uh, I, I mean, Bly stuttered. Nice job, Captain. Badges, Zakaya commanded. Yeah, right. Joseph maneuvered the truck a few feet away from the crash. They had barely rolled to a stop before Bly popped open his door, jumped out, and ran over to the wreck. Joseph hurried after him, his gun up. Zakaya followed, holding his, up his rifle, aiming at the overturned car. The fools. The hunted could have any number of traps prepared, and the young rookies were ambling over, hooting in celebration. He, on the other hand, kept his distance, and his eyes remained ready for even the slightest movement. Joseph and Bly were good cops, for what flat feet were worth, but neither of them understood the true magnitude of this mission. Behind him, Vassal Moss seemed to glide out of the truck, never once making a noise in the night. The leaves didn't even crunch beneath his feet as he followed them to the crash. Bly and Joseph had already made their ways over to the streaming, steaming wreckage and were fumbling with something in the front seat. There was scuffling, and a scared whine wound its way out of the twisted metal as the two agents dragged something out of the front passenger seat. One of the hunted was still alive. Bly threw the rebel to the ground and spat on its shadow. Lay down, scum, he snarled. Zakaya tightened his grip on his rifle. Bly, like a jackal, was stealing his kill. Calm, proficient, Vassal murmured from behind him. Zakaya nodded tightly at the warning. His vassal knew him well, too well, but he was right. Closing out this mission was more important than a few seconds of glory. Resigned, Zakaya slung his rifle on his shoulder as he approached the two agents. Only one survivor, Captain, Joseph announced. The driver's head is dog meat, and the one in the back died in the crash. Joseph tossed him something, and Zakiah caught it, already knowing what it was. A porcelain mask, just the bottom half of it, hard and smooth. A telltale trademark of the Knights of Almout. Koa. Terrorist, terrorist dogs who fancied themselves men. Zakaya cradled the mask in his hand, feeling the ridges of the molded nose, cheeks, and mouth, all of them together barely the size of his own palm. It was the captives. He looked up at the squirming rebel, finally noticing the long red hair that spilled out onto the grass. A woman. He smiled, somehow feeling impressed amidst his annoyance. Her face was speckled with a constellation of freckles, acne even. She couldn't have been any older than 16. Show her to me. The soft command had come from the shadowed man at Zakaya's heels, the vassal. Joseph and Bly hoisted the rebel to her knees and lowered their heads in the vassal's direction. 
Zakiah cast down his eyes and stepped to the side, allowing his vassal to pass before he lifted his gaze again. The vassal stood before the captive, staring at her with soft eyes. Finally, he spoke. How young. I might have known Koa would send pups to do a dog's work. What should I do with you, I wonder? What purpose will you serve? No purpose, sir, Bly said. I say kill the Cohen scum. No, we'll do no such thing. We are to honor the Articles 39, the vassal replied. He turned to Zakiah. The car. Zakiah nodded and went to work. He tossed the sedan, cast the corpses aside, ripped up carpet, gutted the trunk, seats, and glove compartment, or what was left of it. Nothing. There weren't even any signs of it. No traces of energy, not even a ripple in the air where it might have passed through. Nothing betrayed its location. He frowned, turning to his superior. Vassal, this faction must have it been a decoy so that the real transport could get away. Bitterness coated his tongue, almost forcing the words back. They've hidden it somewhere else. His vassal's cold glaze flickered, and Zakiah tensed, expecting words of admonishment, or worse, disappointment. But to his surprise, the vassal said nothing. Instead, he turned to the rebel. Lift her up, he ordered. Joseph and Bly hoisted the woman to her feet so their gaze was level with his. You azure bastards can go to hell, she said, the pubescent snarl clear. You can't kill me. Even your own code won't allow it. Oh, no. We aren't going to kill you at all, Vassal agreed. That's barbaric. The man balled up his hand and shlack. The girl's face fell from her cheekbones and cartilage slapping wetly against the grass. She howled, a long wailing sound that whistled, fr whist whistled from the milky shine of her jaw. As she screamed, the large white balls in her eye sockets rolled like slippery hard-boiled eggs and her teeth exposed to the gums clacked together with frenetic snaps. Zakiah, if you please, the vassal said. Bly and Joseph's faces paled with terror, but without so much as a flicker of disgust, Zakiah scooped the dripping wrinkles of skin from the ground, gripping it in a fist. Display, please. Zakiah held the sagging flesh in front of the woman's eyes. The cheeks and lips of it drooped, as though lamenting the girl's disfigurement. Three cc's of morphine, please, Joseph. Trembling, Joseph pulled the kit from his side pack and began to prepare the anesthetic. Bly held her, still turning his eyes away as Joseph slid the needle into the base of her neck and emptied its contents. Then the vassal stepped forward, bringing his nose close to her face. I can imagine that you are in incredible pain, he said. The morphine is to numb that for you so we can talk. Ugh, asterds, she screamed, but without lips, the curses just sounded like angry gibberish. She began to sob. Not to worry, my dear. You are going to get your face back. How much of it is returned, however, is up to you. Now, I'm going to ask you some questions. For every answer I think is a lie, my proficient is going to slice away an inch of your face and burn it. 
The vassal motioned to Zakaya, who still held the sagging flesh in the moonlight. Please, please don't. Her sobs crescendoed, forming echoes in the night, and her body heaved with each cry. And we'll begin. And with almost a lover's touch, he took her chin in his thumb and forefinger. Now, you tell me, where is the final page? I and hope that she is... knows. <laughs> Jeez. Oh. <laughs> and welcome to this world. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you're just sort of dropped into it immediately. <laughs> All right. Um, so I I think personally, I think that the that Colby did a great job of of making her prose match the action that's happening and um and the the genre. It's a really good fit. Um I I think the voice, her voice is really strong and that the voices of the um the individual characters comes through in the dialogue really well um so and for me i'm not um i'm not a huge fan of the genre so i'm going to own that up front i read a few i was thinking um lexicon zone one pest house of the you know the sort of dystopian um uh fiction urban fantasy sci-fi yeah um uh so um so i'm yeah i was i was gonna say i'm not really i'm not the ideal reader for this um for this piece for this genre um the i found that there was the combination of the complex action and the complex sentences that had lots of imagery I found that hard to digest and I had to reread often to make sense of what was happening um and sometimes I it was hard for me to tell is she talking literally and I had to again I had to pause and um and think about it um so for if Colby's ideal readers aren't pulled out of the story by this, then she should just keep rocking this, um, this way of writing. Um, if they're, if they're, you know, she gets some feedback that people are pulled out of the story, it's feels bumpy, then, you know, then she might want to look at it, um, take a closer look. So, um, so from a syntax perspective, what would you recommend? For me, I would break up some of these um, long, complex sentences um, and vary them with shorter ones. Um, there is some of that, you know, when, when Zakaya says, my mission, mine. Um, but overall, the, the description is really long, complex sentences. And so I would break those up. Um, also, there was a there was a structure that was kind of repeated throughout, which was a, a, a dependent clause. I mean, excuse me, an independent clause followed by a dependent clause that began with a, the ing form of a verb. And um, and that that when that's repeated, that kind of pops up um, on my radar and I notice the prose more than the story. And so um one example I, I pulled out was he lowered his eye into the scope, positioning the crosshairs over the figure settling into the driver's seat. Um, that's not that there's nothing wrong with that sentence. 
on its own, but when that um, style is repeated, um, then it can feel a little, um, a little too, um, <laughs> a little too rhythmic um, in that way. Repetitively rhythmic, right? So in that yeah. paragraph after the sentence that you read, mm -hmm. there's the sentence, Joseph jammed his foot down onto the gas pedal pushing nearly 100 as the truck's tires kicked up the slag of the country road. Right, right. Yeah, so when it happens a lot, it can be distracting. So you and I had completely different experiences with this one. Mm -hmm. I was enthralled with this. I thought she did such a lovely job of um, starting us off with a strong conflict, with a bang, with well uh, differentiated characters um mm -hmm. i feel like i have a really strong sense both of zakiah and the vassal as well as blind joseph um and even with uh, their torture victim <laughs> this young girl um and i i loved the world building that she she managed to work in quite subtly right so joseph thinks about his skin and heals himself and they're off on looking for this artifact, the final page, whatever that might be. And then um, in addition to that, we have this, you know, really interesting, um, we have a, the group that we're with, which is clearly a differentiated weight. We've got Zakiah, who's got Joseph and Bly underneath him and the vassal above him. So there's this power structure that's in play. And we don't know really what's going on yet. We don't know who these people are. We know they're pretty brutal. Mm -hmm. um, and that they feel passionately about what they're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I find it completely intriguing. And I definitely would turn the page. Mm -hmm. This is, um, for me, most of my suggestions were more um, minor copy editing. There were, there were a few echoes. I think there was um, early on, there was a, a paragraph where the word lean, um, the car was leaning and then leaned and then the lean occurred and there were a couple other places where there were minor echoes a couple places where words were spelled incorrectly a couple places where um oh, i lost that train of thought goodbye station um, <laughs> see you later uh, yeah um yeah a couple places where i wasn't sure if word choice if the word that was used was the right choice um mm -hmm. I think also um, the the Koa car was first described as a sedan and then later right. described as a muscle car. Right. And the, then there's the truck SUV that the Zakaya and his mates are in. Right. And I mean, we have an SUV and we call it a truck all the time. But if you start with truck, I think of a pickup truck. I do and too. Mm -hmm. So um, again, if we've mentioned this before where you're when you're bringing and describing something for the first time, make sure you do it accurately for your reader so that they don't get off track and then have to go back and reimagine your vision mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or the vision, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, this is brings up an interesting, um, no, not what you said. The story <laughs> brings <laughs> up, just brought up an interesting thought for me was that um, these character like you can't tell i forget how far we are into it before we find out that these are the police that these are you know these are the authority and that the people in the sedan are the you know they're the terrorists and the bad guys of course you know labels we're getting it from the the point of view of the people 
you know, Zakiah and his people. So, um, um, but we don't know going in. And so I, I didn't fully like, I wasn't fully on their team. Um, not knowing, you know, like who are the bad guys here? They're being kind of mean, you know, (laughs) I mean, which is kind of funny, but that, um, just that you don't like, you didn't have any trouble getting on their team and, and relating to them. I suspect not necessarily because you were rooting for them, but because there was so much that it was really interesting and you wanted to see how this would, you know, like, how is this going to unfold? What's going to happen next? Yeah. I don't necessarily have the sense that these guys are the good guys. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I know that there are definitely two factions that are in pretty severe disagreement with one another. Mm -hmm. Um, but there is enough for me of well done world building and interesting characterization and interesting layers of of status um and that slight hint of magic um and the mystery of what is the first page the final page yeah to to pull me on through Mm -hmm. and you know me i love a big fat book so um that's appealing it tells that tells me that this isn't going to be poorly developed this is you know this is the opening of a probably really well done book mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so so anything else that you want to say about this from a critique perspective uh no i think that's it <laughs> Was I supposed to say something? No, no, I'm just making sure before <laughs> I, I move on. <laughs> no, I, um, yeah. So, so this is one of those um, times where we realize that not every editor is perfect for every book, mm-hmm. and um, and we yeah, wanted... we talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, uh, so editorial mission is kind of a. a slightly different kind of editorial mission today and that is find your beta readers so um i think this could be actually a nice little discussion um Mm -hmm. yeah so for those of you who don't know a lot of uh, writers employ beta readers to not employ but recruit beta readers (laughs) to read your manuscript and provide critical feedback before you go wide with it before you publish before you submit And what they do is essentially what you ask of them to do. They read it and they give you their feedback. They, um, and so there's a couple, a couple things to think about when you're looking for beta readers. And what we'd like you to do this week is, um, depending on how close you are to needing them, just start to think about and maybe make a list of five to 10 people who might make good beta readers for you or five to 10 places where you might look for beta readers. Mm-hmm. So um, I think we talked briefly about when to use them. So for, for me, I don't employ a beta reader until I've gotten that book as good as I can get it on my own. And I'm Many people will go for beta readers after editing just to get, you know, no editor will catch every typo in a book. So you'll get more typos caught when you find you mm-hmm. ask them for them from your beta readers. But um, they also will give you um, that just final, like, wow, this little thing at the end kind of messed with me. Or just, a, you know, that final bit of critical feedback that will help you take your book to the next level. So... 
what kind of beta reader do you want to find? Many people will just ask friends and family. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> danger, danger. Right, yeah. Which so, they can, right? You yeah. might find the right person among those people. And yet, chances are yep. not. My husband is a wonderful beta reader for me. Um, but I think I'm unusual in that. I'm lucky in that. Um, so, yeah, you want to find someone who is an avid reader of books in your genre. Mm -hmm. You want to find someone who is willing to take on the commitment and will get back to you in a timely fashion. You want to find somebody who can clearly articulate their feelings about your book. You don't, you want a lot more than just, Oh, it was really good. I liked it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and you might ask for specific things like where um where does it where does it slow down? Where did you feel like oh, I need to put the book down or where did you where were you pulled out of the story and those kinds of things and people who can tell you that. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And you want to set expectations when you're with your beta readers when you you're like, "Okay, here we go. Let me know your feedback." That's not good enough. You want to let them know I want to know where your eyes started glazing over and you started looking for the next interesting thing to read. Mm-hmm. You also want to know, where did I get you? Where was it great? Because mm-hmm. you certainly don't want to go back and take the life out accidentally from yeah. something brilliant. Yeah. Um, anyway, you you know, you might have certain questions about certain things and you want to think carefully about what you ask of your reader beta readers and what expectations you set you know you want to give them a deadline you know i need this back in two weeks Mm -hmm. something along those lines um so i um i know that we've written about beta readers in the past leslie so we Mm -hmm. will put some pretty some more comprehensive and organized information in the show notes about Mm -hmm. beta readers Mm -hmm. um but definitely Um, a great asset in -hmm. your path to publication. Mm -hmm. Um, They can let you know if you're hitting the mark or not Mm -hmm. uh, over the, you know, with the whole novel. And uh, definitely they can become really great fans and they can become people who are on your street team that help you get the word out about your book. Mm -hmm. They can become early reviewers of your book. So they're they're really like an invaluable asset to a self-published author or any author really. But mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. oh, and we didn't talk about how many. No. So you I mentioned know some, five to ten. Yeah, just as a guideline to think about for this exercise. Mm-hmm. But I know some authors that will use two to three. Um, I know of authors that will use twenty-five to fifty. So really, it's up to you. Mm-hmm. and how much time you want to take with their feedback. How And the thing that's nice about more than two or three is you start to see where the outliers are. You know, you see, okay, 80% of my people really love this particular section, but two people had a problem with it. So maybe there's a minor thing I could tweak, but for the most part, that section is working. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, of course, the decision is up to you about what you change. Um, but if you have lots of people kind of pointing to one thing, which is why I said for, um, 
for Ghosts of Koa, if her beta readers or her, her readers are really happy with this style, then she should just keep rocking it and, you know, and toss me out as an outlier. Um, if she got a lot of feedback about it, that it wasn't quite a good fit, then maybe she's not, um, maybe she's not, um, hitting the reader, you know, the ideal readers for her or whatever. But, but the point is that, you know, to use that information, um, in the best way. Right. And from you and from us, she would get two very different types of feedback, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for me, it was a galloping pace and I was happy to be on the back of that horse. Mm -hmm. All right. So just to recap, editorial mission this week, think of five to 10 people that you might en enlist to be your beta readers um, or try and identify five to 10 places. If you can't think of five to 10 people, five to 10 places where you might find them. Mm -hmm. um, and examples might include different Facebook groups or author communities that you're a part of, um, Twitter, you know, there are places where you can connect with other readers, Good, um, Goodreads, for example, where you can really reach out and find people who are fans of your genre and will be able to give you some excellent critical feedback. Right. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks, Alyssa. My pleasure. That does it for this week. We would love for you to remember <laughs> that the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. To get more five-star reviews of your books, become a premium member at Author Marketing Club and get access to their award-winning reviewer grabber tool. Check that out at www.authormarketingclub.com. And you can find our show notes and the inline critique for Ghosts of Koa on our website, writership.org. Join our crew and you'll get a free copy of the Writership Sampler, a book full of exercises and writing prompts to inspire you. You can also learn more about our editing services and sign up for our monthly editing newsletter. All right, my friends, that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening please feel free to leave us some comments or feedback on either on our website on in the show notes or on iTunes. And we look forward to hear talking with you next time on the Writership Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.